Last week we looked at, anybody remember the subject for last week? You guys are so amazing, I can't believe it. You know, our kids were little, we, you know, they, they, when they were that, like, that little, and uh, we'd ask them a question, and that's what they'd say, Jesus? Yeah. Or you'd say, no, that's not right, they said, God? Yeah. Or no, that's not right, they said, Holy Spirit. Those are the first three answers, Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. That's like they knew that was one of those three. And pretty much for us, as the human race, the answer is Jesus. And, you know, you say, well, what's the, what's the answer to this? Well, you know, you can say, well, that's so simplistic, but really that's the way it is, that Jesus is the answer. So in chapter 1, um, we looked at, at verses 15 through 23 at his deity, the, the deity of Jesus, the, the fact he's the image of the invisible God, that he's the firstborn over all creation, he's the creator, he's eternal, that he's before all things, that he holds all things together. He's the head of the church, the beginning of resurrection uh, of the, for you and for me. The message of Colossians really is over and over the same thing, that he is preeminent, that he is supreme, that, that really the sufficiency of Jesus. He is enough. He is enough for you and for me. It says once we were alienated from God, we were actually enemies of God, but now he says he has reconciled us by his suffering by the cross. He's brought us back together with God. We, we were lost without him. We were alienated. We were aliens. And he, be, and he brought us into his family and made us his if we have faith. And it's a continuing thing. Today, I want to look at uh, the next section here talking about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the title of today's message, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Can you say that with me? Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, now you've just, measured, you've just memorized like part of a verse. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's good news. That's what the gospel is. That's what P that Paul's talking about here. Jesus in us. And, and, the, and again, the Bible defines the word hope as confident expectation. It's not a wishful thinking kind of hope like we have in the world. I hope, you know, it doesn't rain today, or I hope, you know, my car starts. I hope I can pay the bill. I hope I can. No, it's, it's confident expectation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I have confident expectation of the glory that is to come. Let's look at uh, the last part of verse 23 where we left off. He says, and of which, which is the gospel, he said, of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I have become a servant of the gospel. It's another one of the themes in this passage today is that, uh, being a servant of the gospel. Paul giving his life to serve the truth, that that others might have the hope of glory. When you talk to your friends around you, and, 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 and one of the reasons we, we get kind of down is because we forget about that we got the hope of glory. We forget about what we have in store for us, and, and so often we need to remind ourselves, you know what, this, isn't, this world really does have nothing for me, and my hope is, is found in my citizenship in heaven, the glory that awaits but the people around us, you know, if, if this is all there is, you know, it's pretty hopeless. It's pretty kind of down. It is kind of defeating. You know, there's only so many steaks you can eat, and it starts to get kind of like, well, is this all there is, steak? How many of you had a steak last night? I just want to know this. Was it? Man. <laughs> what are you doing tomorrow night? 
<laughs> Servant of the gospel. You know, when we went to India a number of years back, um, <clears throat> there was an evangelist there, and he was kind of, he had this kind of big hair kind of thing, and I can't kind of show you what that looks like, but he had this big hair, and he would go around preaching the gospel. He called himself the king of the gospel. And we're all going like, what? But that's what he called himself, the king of the gospel. And we go like, but this verse here, he says, Paul says, I'm the servant of the gospel. And I'm the king of the gospel. I'm a servant of the gospel that, that if I can serve, if I can be a minister to serve the truth to others. I was watching a documentary about Pastor Chuck, Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, and, and he was talking about his life, and, um, and uh, he, he was telling the, the interviewer, you know, that, that originally, you know, he had he, always believed in Jesus from a very, very young child. His, his mother was, uh, you know, just taught him the truth from a very, very early age, but he got to a point um, where he had his own plans. And his plan was to become a medical doctor, and nothing wrong with being a medical doctor. But he was challenged. Uh, he was at a, a camp, I believe it was. He was at a, a place, and he was challenged to become a servant of Jesus, that, that there would be eternal results, eternal healing that could come forth from being a servant of the gospel. Again, nothing wrong with MDs. We need doctors. We need um, we need people to serve in the, in the medical profession. But, but it was at that point in time that Pastor Chuck said, you know what, I, I, I just, if that's what you want me to do, and we're going to see Paul talking about what God had called him to do, Pastor Chuck said, you know, if that's what you want me to do, okay. And, and he changed his plan from going to, I think he was going to go to USC, if I, my memory serves me right, and, and, and study there. And he, he changed to go to, to Life Bible College in Los Angeles. And we know the rest of the story. He became a servant of the gospel, and it's because, not only because, but because of his willing to serve that, that uh, the word of God has gone to all, all over the world, really, and, and why we're here today, because of finding Jesus Christ through our Calvary Chapel and, and being here uh, in New England just uh, wanting to serve the Lord. So Paul says, I become a servant of the gospel. Look at verse 24. He says, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, what, uh, which is the church. He says, I have suffered for you. I rejoice in what, I, what was suffered for you. I'm, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm not down. He says, it was, it was a good thing. It was, it was okay. Why? And, and, and we'll see what, what comes out of it here is, is being a servant means doing whatever it takes. Paul faced suffering of, of lots of different kinds. If you look at his life, and we'll read a, a few of these things, he, he suffered persecution and distress of all different kinds. But notice he says there, I, I sort of fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Now, when you look at that verse and you say, well, isn't what Jesus did enough? And the, the answer is definitely yes, it is finished when he, when he suffered on the cross. When he paid the price for our sins, it was enough. This particular verse here does not refer to the suffering that paid for sin. You with me so far? 
Does that make sense? But that's not the only kind of suffering that Jesus went through, and that's not the only kind of suffering that you and I go through, right? We don't have to suffer to pay the price for our sins. Sometimes we get a little confused. We think, you know, this is because of my sin. i got to pay for this now. Well, there's certainly a reaping what we sow, but that's not paying the price for our sin that will, you know, make us uh, have a relationship with God and, and uh, have a hope and glory. But there is certainly some suffering that, that takes place in this life. And, and here, rather referring to the suffering now, for Paul anyways, to carry this good news to a, a lost world, someone said. This affliction, this pressure, the persecution. And sometimes we just don't want to deal with any of that. But Ananias, the man who prayed for Paul right after he became uh, a believer and, and God put his hand upon him, Ananias uh, uh, was told these words, he says, I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. There was some suffering that Paul, it was, it was all from the beginning, he, he was told, you are going to suffer. That's part of the cost. You know, we've been sold such a bill of good that, goods that, you know, you know, suffering, no, no, I don't want to suffer. I don't want any kind of pressure. I don't want any kind of pain. I don't want any kind of uh, depression you know, getting depressed about it. I don't want any of that. All I want is to be way high up here. Paul, did you notice what he said there? He said, I rejoice in the suffering. I rejoice in what was suffered. I rejoice. He, He found joy in that. He didn't say, well, you know, take it all away from me and then I'll be happy. Have you ever kind of got that idea? Well, if it would just all go really smooth and all get really perfect, then I will be so happy. And I would never be in a bad mood. Who told you that? Where's that come from? That comes from the commercials, you know. Just mute the commercials because they're lying to you. If you only buy this, you will be so happy. You'll look so good. You know, your hair will be perfect and and everything. You know, I tried all that stuff. It didn't work. It's a lie. (laughs) Suffering is part of this life. Warren Wiersbe said, sufferings that God's people experience as they seek to live for Christ in a hostile world. It's just part of seeking to live for Christ. Jesus said, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. Jesus faced persecution. You and I isn't always going to go well. The list in 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul talked about what happened in his life. He was in prison repeatedly. He'd been beaten, exposed to death again and again. Five times received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, flogging. Three times beaten with rods. Three times shipwrecked, hunger, thirst, all the different stuff this guy faced. And he wasn't saying it to say, listen, how cool I am. I went through all this stuff. He's saying, no, this is part of life. I'm not trying to put you on a bummer here. But the truth of the matter is, life in the world, Jesus promised us. In the world, you'll have tribulation, pressure, trials, trouble, but be of good cheer. Why? Because he has overcome the world. If, if we lose sight of that, we're, we're in trouble. Paul said, I rejoice, I rejoice 
And, 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 if, and, and if this suffering somehow makes, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body, if it somehow is helping you, then praise God if that's what it takes if, it, to help you and to, to bring you along in the sake of, of your Christian life. Look at verse 25. He says, I have become its servant. Its servant being the church, the servant of the church. So he's talking about being a servant of the gospel. Now he's talking about being a servant of the church. He said, I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Paul the Apostle, he says, I have become its servant by the commission that God gave me. Paul was commissioned by God. Who ordains people anyways? Who does? God does, right? I, have, I was looking at this uh, a few minutes ago. I was looking on my wall. I have a certificate of ordination, and it's from Calvary Chapel in Lake Arrowhead, California, and it's got the names and the dates and all that stuff on there. But, you know, that's just a piece of paper by man, right? And it may be right and it may be wrong. There have been people who are not commissioned, ordained by God to do what, you know, certain things and, and they have the paper from this institution or that institution, this college or maybe that church or whatever. But then there are people who are out serving God and they don't have any of these pieces of paper and, and they're ordained by God and the, and the fruit is there. Paul says, I've been commissioned by God. I've been called by God. He says it in Galatians 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I, I, I have this calling, Paul said. And I believe with all my heart that God is still calling men and women today to serve him. God is still calling men and women today to serve him. Some of us, I think we're all called to serve him each and every day. I believe that. But there are some also that God's calling you out of, of this profession or that profession, and he, he just wants to get a hold of your life and that you'll be willing to do whatever, wherever, whenever he's called you to do and to be and to go. Some of you are called to stay here and, and to support maybe those that might go out as a missionary, for example. I know that when I was, I was working in a factory and... Uh, before we went to, uh, to Bible school, um, and I was there, and, and, you know, I have the kind of this technical mind. I, you know, was good in math, and, and, uh, and you know, there, I was working with engineers, and, and I was thinking, you know, I could become an engineer. That's why I get along with some of the engineers in the church, because I could have been an engineer. And I, and I said, you know, okay, I'm going to do that. And I just started to, like, sort of try that on in my mind, in my head, and, and you know what, I, it, it, for me, this is what God's doing for me. And each of us is individual, and God has a purpose and a calling for each one of us. It was like smoke that just went away, it just blew away for me. And I knew that, and at that point, I just said, okay, God, whatever. And we ended up going to Bible school and, and just uh, uh, ended up going to England and serving uh, the Lord from from that point on, and I worked a lot of different jobs along the way as well. It's not the last time I worked a regular job. I, I did, and, and uh, I'm always willing to do that. I, I liked working jobs because it, it gave me a chance to be with people uh, on a regular basis. Perhaps, perhaps, just perhaps, God has that calling in your life. 
I, I don't think there's any sadder thing than that someone might have a calling in their life and they ignore it and they push it off and they come to the end of their life and they say, you know, I, I wish I would have, I, I could have, but I wasn't willing. God is still calling men and women, women to serve him today and, and, and we're all called to serve, like I said, but some are called to even step out and, 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 uh, and give your lives completely uh, Will there be suffering for it? Will there be a cost for it? Yes, there will. I can tell you that for sure. But is it worth it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Paul said in Ephesians, turn, turn back with me to you. We'll just read uh, uh, some verses about that. Ephesians chapter 3. He said, verse 7, I became a servant of this gospel. How? By uh, Bible school? By uh, correspondence courses? By what? By the grace of God. By the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. He says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, he had no you know, kind of ego trip at all, he said, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. I became a servant of the, of the gospel, this gospel, God's grace, this unmerited favor that God just said, listen, this is what I want you to do. It's going to include suffering. You say, you're sitting there thinking, well, God hasn't given me a call like that. Well, maybe God is, is calling you to pray. Maybe God is calling you to help support a missionary or, or someone who's willing and, and ready and, and uh, will be serving. It's all God's grace, no matter what he's called us to do. Back in Colossians now, he says that he was called by this commission to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That's a very, very important statement. Very important statement, to present to you the Word of God in its fullness. Not stories, not myths, not current psychology or current philosophy, because those all change with the wind. Today it's one thing, tomorrow it'll be another. There's a lot of stuff blowing around, a lot of weird stuff, a lot of stuff that sounds pretty good. Paul's going to say later here, watch out for fine-sounding arguments. But preach the word. Preach the word. That's what he says to, to Timothy, right, as he's, as he's teaching Timothy. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And Paul's uh, charge to Timothy, very clear. 2 Timothy chapter 4, had about a few books, four or five books. He says in verse 1, 2 Timothy chapter 4, "...in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus." who will judge the living and the dead and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. That's a, that's a pretty substantial basis for what he's about to say, right? In the presence of God. This is not some light statement he's about to make. And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom. I give you this charge. Verse 2, he says, preach what? The word. Preach the word. Preach the word, not some weird stuff, not some stuff that, you know, you came up with when you, you know, couldn't sleep. 
He said, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. I don't want to hear it anymore. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Itching ears to say what their itching ears want to hear. I hate to say it, but in our, in our world today, a great number of the churches, evangelical churches even, basically what, what they're doing is, is whatever the people want. You know, you know about how the, the whole seeker-sensitive kind of thing happened is they went out and did surveys. Well, what is it you'd like to hear? What is it you would like to know? What is it, how would you like things to be? Now, you know, I think we need to keep up with the times and understand and be relevant and contemporary. And, you know, our, the worship we have here is contemporary. But not just because that's what people, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear more of this and more of that. And, and no, he says, preach the word. He says the time will come when, when people just want to hear. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches. I hate to say it. Churches even around here. We've got to preach the Word. Preach the Word. The Word of God is living and active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Preach the Word. Look at verse 26 back in uh, Colossians. He says there, he says the mystery, the Word of God in its fullness. Not just little parts of the word. And then he goes on to describe the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. There was this mystery. It wasn't, uh, it was opened up. It was disclosed. And one of the things they were fighting uh, there in the church at Colossae was these, this kind of secret, you know, membership group. It was kind of the precursor to the Gnostics of the, the secret knowledge. Well, you have to have this secret knowledge. Well, it's not a, a secret message. It's not a secret handshake, a secret understanding, secret plates that are read with special glasses, but it's something that's openly disclosed, and it's Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the message is. Christ in you. Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, buried and rose from the dead. Look at verse 27. He says to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glorious riches of this mystery. It's opened up. It's revealed. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ himself dwelling within you. This is the basis of our hope, that his work is applied within us uh, Paul said in Romans, if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, but your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ in us. The confident expectation of glory because of Jesus Christ living within us. He's taken up residence. I was thinking about this, though. You know, if Jesus is living in me, if he's living in you, is he, like, comfortable there? You know how you go to someone's house sometimes and you just feel like uncomfortable because it's like so weird there? 
It's true. Right? You go to someone's house and you go like, man. And you say to, you know, the person you're with, can we go now? You know, it's getting too weird in here. And some of you looking at each other going, is it almost over? Can we go now? This guy's making me feel really weird. And, you know, he keeps talking about stuff. And I'm feeling like pressure. And, you know, I, I had a bad... I was already in a bad mood, and now I'm like in a worse mood. But when you go to someone's house where you like, you just get along, and it's like it's like they have welcomed you like a visitor, and like, please come in, sit here in the best seat. Oh, let me get out the the chips and the dip. Let me get the steak, steak, <laughs> for you. And and. You just feel so comfortable. I wonder about Jesus living within us. Is, is that how it is with him? We are just so happy for him to be there. Or he's going like, man, this place is like a mess. Well, he's, it's said in Philippians, you know, he's begun a good work in us, and he's coming to do the work himself in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And, and I think part of growing in Christ is where we, we, we kind of see like, man, he's, he's not going anywhere. He's not, he won't leave me alone, so I better just submit to what he's trying to do anyways, right? It'd be much, my life would be much easier if I, just go, if I just realize he's the king, he's the Lord, and just kind of go along with his plan, not mine. Things go a lot better. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourself, test yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is, is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? If you're not a Christian, if you're not born again, well, he's not in you. But if you are, he is in you. That's the test. Well, is Jesus living inside of me? Is he in me by his spirit? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the hope of glory. It's not, it's not any other thing. It's not doing this, doing that, fulfilling this, fulfilling that. And that's why Paul says in verse 28 here, he says, we proclaim him. We proclaim him, admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We proclaim who? It's that simple question again. Who? There you go. Right, good. Just give that one first and I'll always say yes. You know that that illustration of the sign out in front of a church where, where it said, we preach Christ crucified, right? Brilliant, brand new sign they put out there, but there were some bushes that were out there, and they kind of started growing a little bit, and they and they and the growth eventually it covered the word crucified. And then it said, we preach Christ, which is good, right? But they left out the cross. Without the cross, if Jesus is just a man, right? There's no hope in that. But Paul's talking about Jesus Christ, the Lord, the King, and all the other things we talked about earlier. Then the growth, you know, kept covering different things, and it covered the word Christ, and they left out Christ, and then it was, we preach. Well, you can go to places, and we preach, and they do some great preaching in there, but there's no Christ, and there's no crucified, there's no cross. Finally, the growth covered the preach, and it was only we. No preaching. We. We sit around in a circle, and we talk about, I don't know, weird things. 
And it becomes all about us. Well, this is what I feel today, and this is what I feel. And, and finally, the growth came, and, and finally there was nothing. It's all covered. Because that's the, that's the progression. That's where you're going to go. There will be no church. There will be no church of the living God. There's not a church, certainly, that Paul suffered for and that he brought the word of God to. We proclaim Jesus Christ the Savior. That's our message. It's not a doctrine. It's not a teaching. It's not a system. It's not a philosophy, not a set of rules and regulations that we fulfill. It is a person, Jesus. We proclaim him. It's a personal relationship with him. Christ in you. That's pretty personal, isn't it? Sometimes we don't come to Christ because we don't want it to be that personal. Whoa, that's a little too much for me. But really, there is no hope for glory unless we go and, and take that full and final step and we allow Christ into our lives and hearts. And that's very personal. And, and like I said, it gets right inside of the very being, core of who we are. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's who we proclaim. A personal relationship with him. Paul said he admonished, he warned, and he taught everyone. So that in the end, see, he was responsible for what he taught. And I, I believe, and it says as well, that we are responsible for what we teach. Don't, he says, don't many of you, you know, take on this position of teacher. You're going to be held to a stricter accountability, responsible for what you teach. But he, he took it very seriously, and he says, you know, that, that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. And, 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 and this is all really about discipleship, that people, we need to be taught. We need to be fed so that we might grow, so that we might become mature believers. Not a bunch of babies sitting around with baby bottles and diapers. We need to grow in our faith. We need to grow up in our faith, be challenged, be prepared for heaven. And Paul says in verse 20, 29, to this end, I labor, struggling with all his power, his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Paul, he, he struggles, and this word uh, for struggling is, a, is where we get our word agonize. He agonized over it. it was, he, put, he put this effort into it. But notice he says it's not my own strength. How many of you ever try to, try to do it in your own strength? Do you know what that feels like? Oh, man, I do. Well, if I just do it like this and if I work harder and make this, you know, that saying, work, work smarter, not harder, well, you know, it, it really it should be working, you know, with, with his strength and not mine because we really, you know, we're just striving in the flesh when we try to do it on our own strength. Let's jump into chapter 2 for a few verses before we close. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Laodicea was a, a church close to there. We know about it from the book of Revelation. But he says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. I care about you and I, I'm, I'm agonizing. And part of this was agonizing in prayer. Of course, he was working hard in a lot of different ways, but, but you know, he, he wasn't there. He'd never actually been there, you remember. Epaphras was the one who heard the gospel from Paul, went back to his hometown of Colossae, started this fellowship, 
But Paul said, I'm agonizing. I'm struggling for you. I care about you. And so, you know, Paul had a, uh, this prayer life. It was incredible. He hadn't even met them personally, but he could pray for them. We say, well, I can't pray for people. I don't know them. Oh, yes, you can. Surely we can. He says in verse 2, my purpose, the reason I would do it, is they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He said, I, I want you to become mature. I want you to understand. I want you to grow. It's, and, and he says, it's in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What's the answer again? Jesus, yeah, it is. He says in here, it's, now it doesn't mean we don't study anything else, we don't read anything else, we don't know anything else, but in the, in the most important things of all life, all of life, the answer is Jesus, simply. That's why you got a verse like Matthew 6.33. How many of you know what Matthew 6.33 says? No? Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. If we get it right, the first thing, Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God in our lives, we look to the, to the uh, seeking Him as the most important thing. All the rest will, will come. All the rest will be taken care of. Someone said this, the whole theme of Colossians is Christ is all you need. It's not Christ plus this little book that I added. It's not Christ plus this little technique that I'm going to teach you now. Sit like this, hold your hands like this, make this kind of weird noise. It's not some special little handshake. It's Jesus Christ in Him are hidden. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we're all done trying all the other stuff, we've got to get back to Jesus. I see it. I see it in people's lives. They're out just, well, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do that. In the end, you've got to come back to Jesus. That's where it's all going to happen. That's just going to go out from there. Get the focus right. Verse 4, he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There are people, there are fine-sounding things. Well, that sounds pretty good. That sounds great. I, I, you know, that's, yeah, that's just what I need. No, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm warning you, I'm telling you. Be careful, there's deceivers out there. Paul said in, in Romans 16, such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Basically, it's just for themselves. They either want the, the power or they want the, the possessions, the greed. Watch out. Watch out. Don't be deceived. This is what Paul's saying. He says it in many different places. Watch out. Be careful. Pay attention. Acts chapter 20, he says, you know, I, there are people, they just want to draw away disciples after themselves, not after Christ. And finally, verse 5, he says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, 
and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. He talked about all this stuff, but in the end he says, right here in this verse, you know, I'm so glad to see that, you know, how orderly you are, how, how together and, and how firm your faith in Christ is. But let's stay there, right? These terms about orderly and, and firm are uh, military terms I read. It says they describe an army that's solidly united against the enemy. To see how orderly you are, how firm your faith is. You're not like all over the map. Your faith, your faith is strong. It's anchored on the rock of Jesus Christ. That's what it says in the Sermon on the Mount, right? When the storms come, if you're, if you're built on sand, guess what's going to happen? But if you're anchored to the rock, he says the storms are going to come, but, but you're going to be firm. You're going to be secure. So the message, Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So a few questions I just want to ask. As we close, do you know him? Is he in you? Do you know where your hope is, your confident expectation? Do you know where you're going? And do you know why you're going there? Do you know how you're going there? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It isn't, you know, I have a badge from Sunday school of perfect attendance, the hope of glory. Or I gave you know, so many dollars, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is he in you? Is he comfortable there? And that's another little thing we kind of, or is it like his constant battle? Or maybe, maybe he's speaking to you today about being a servant of the gospel. I think he wants that of all of us, really. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We Proclaim him, Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Heavenly Father, we come and we just take a moment now to quiet ourselves before you. And we just heard your word, and maybe there's something in there that, that uh, was directly meant for me, for each one of us. Maybe we're, we're listening to what the Spirit would say to each one of us. An ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And we're part of your church, Lord. If we believe in you, if we trusted in you, if we have asked you into our heart and lives, and you've come and taken residence in us, and that's our only hope for glory. Our only hope for glory. Father, what would you say to each one of us? What kind of a response would you want us to give? How do you want us to change in our lives? And maybe you're working at uh, changing some of the decor within us that really is not too nice. Father, we surrender and we submit to you. We, we say, Jesus, Jesus, you are Lord. Holy, 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 Lord Jesus, we surrender to you today. I just want to give a moment for as, we, as we stay in this attitude of prayer for you to kind of just say, say to the Lord whatever it is you, you would respond to him.
Maybe there's an area, some area, one area, one word. And you speak to him in your heart and just uh, let him know that you're willing and he's able. Father God, we come and we surrender again and we also pray for those here today that have never asked you in, that, that have no hope of glory because Christ is not in them yet. But today is a good day. Today is a good day for salvation. Today is a good day for inviting Jesus Christ into our hearts and lives. And, and if that's you this morning, you're, you're here and you, you have no hope of glory, today is a, a day you can simply say, Lord Jesus. And you can pray right along with me now and say, Lord Jesus, I, I ask you to come in to my heart and my life and to cleanse me, to wash me, to forgive me of all my sin because of what you did on the cross. And I want to give you my life, not just, uh, not just part of me, but all of me, and give you my life and my heart and come in and, and do as you would within me. Father, thank you for your glory. Thank you for the glorious things that are ahead. And because of Jesus, you've promised them to us. And we look forward to that in Jesus' name. Amen.